This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Jan Westmark. And I'm Brittany Grover, and you are listening to the monthly Sidelines episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 6th, episode 2,844. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Green of the Corcoran Group. This episode is a special episode of Horses in the Morning every first Thursday of the month, brought to you by Sidelines Magazine, the magazine for horse people about horse people. Good morning, horse world. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Horses in the Morning. Glenn here, and I am jumping in because I'm producing today's episode, but I also wanted to welcome a brand new monthly episode to Horses in the Morning. And I'm very excited about this because we worked with Sidelines Magazine years and years ago. I mean, years ago. (laughs) And it was always so much fun. And uh, they have finally decided to come on board after all these years and do a monthly episode. And I have Jan here. Hi, Jan. Hi, Glenn. How are you doing? Good. Now, you're the big boss, right? You're like the editor-in-chief or God or something over there at Sidelines. (laughs) (laughs) I would say editor-in-chief, Okay, good. (laughs) And Jan and I have known each other for a very long time. We've just run into each other here and there and everywhere. Uh, And we saw each other at uh, HP at the Conference for American Horse Publications. It was like, okay, we've been talking for years. It's time to do this. So thank you for agreeing to do this. And then you drug Brittany into it, kicking and screaming, and she's here. (laughs) Hi, Brittany. Hi, Glenn. Now, Brittany, what do you do over there? I am the assistant editor, and I also write quite a few of the stories for Sidelines Magazine. Well, Jan, give us a little bit of history of Sidelines. It's been around for a while. It has been. It started 34 years ago in Wellington uh, when Samantha Charles owned it, and uh, she started it as a polo newspaper. She was standing on the sidelines of a polo game, writing down the scores, and uh, turned it into like a little newspaper, Uh, and that's how they came up with the name Sidelines. And then it just uh, grew from there. Eventually, they added a hunter jumper and dressage into it and eventing. And it's just grown. And I, I uh, came on board in 2004. And we continue to grow. And it's, that's very exciting. If, if you were to describe it to somebody who has never seen Sidelines before, what would you say it is? I would describe it as a people magazine. And we call ourselves For Horse People, About Horse People. So this is less about the coverage and the scores and things and more about the people in the sport. Absolutely. We do profiles and feature stories on people all across the country and even around the world um, about them and their horses, their, how they started out in their careers. Uh, so we don't do like how-to articles or scores on, on shows, right? So Brittany, what do you hope to bring to this episode every month? We want to bring horse people to this episode. We at Sidelines love featuring these amazing people with fantastic stories that are just so much fun. And we really feel like a podcast is going to add an even uh, deeper layer to that where you can hear their voices and you can hear us just talking and going beyond what is in our print paper and uh, getting a feel for just these amazing individuals in our equestrian community. I'm very excited about it. So let's get started. One of you has to tell us what's coming up on today's show. On today's show, we meet dressage writer Lahua Custer and talk about her life with her horses, Tuna and Ramses. We 
also speak to Sidelines owner Bob Bell about his classic company horse shows. And before we get into today's show, I want to introduce uh, this episode's sponsor, Jeremy Green of the Corcoran Group. The Corcoran Group is a leading real estate firm based in New York that has primarily focused on the three main luxury markets on the East Coast, Manhattan, the Hamptons, and Palm Beach. Over the last 12 years, Corcoran has expanded the brand to Chicago, Hawaii, Arizona, Nevada, California, North Carolina, the British and French Virgin Islands, and the Bahamas, with more on the way. Corcoran agents offer their clientele and customer base an elevated level of professionalism, service, and market knowledge so that they may be in, make informed decisions and enjoy the buying and selling experience. In Palm Beach County region, Corcoran has done over $2.2 billion in sales and over $3 billion in South Florida. As an agent in the Palm Beach area, Jeremy Green specializes in equestrian properties because, as an equestrian himself, he knows what equestrian clientele need. He's a large R hunter judge, owned and operated his own equestrian business, and has been involved in the Wellington horse community for over 25 years. Uh, he handles seasonal and annual rentals in addition to helping sell and purchase farms. So whatever your equestrian needs, he wants to use all of his years of experience to help you. You can reach him at Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y dot green, G-R-E-E-N-E at corcoran.com or 716-997-8681. Jeremy was actually one of our 2021 hot horsemen. And I love talking to Jeremy because he's super laid back. He's fun to talk to and just really down to earth. I feel like I could talk, tell him anything and he's not going to judge it. He's just, he just rolls with it. He's just a really fun guy. Brittany, the January issue of Sidelines is out, and it's a great one. I can't believe um, the story about Lahua Custer, who's on our cover. I know. I love it. It makes me so – I'm so excited to talk to her later in the show. Me too. The um, This is our breeding and stallion issue, um, and we have some new columnists, which I'm very excited about for 2022. Hard to believe. I and know. Then, how did you get – how did you find them? Like, How did you uh, come up with well, our new columnists? Well, Rob Jacobs is doing our hunter jumper column. And if you remember in 2020, he was our hot horseman on the cover. And that's how we met him. In fact, you did the story on him. I did. Oh my goodness. I love him. He is, yeah, he's just an amazing human being. So he was in North Carolina when you wrote the story on him. That's where he was living. And then he moved out to California and now he's up in um, Oregon, I think. And that is where he's uh, working at a, a farm. He's at one of the trainers there. And he just has a lot of insight into the hunter-jumper world. Um, and so we're really happy to have him. Oh, that's and right. He's out here in, uh, in Se- near Seattle. Near in, Seattle. Oh, yeah. that's right. Because he, we, he and I talked about um, he was going to go to the original Starbucks because he oh. likes coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. People out here love their coffee. <laughs> that's right. And he does, too. So that's good. A uh, good place for him to move to. And then we also have Liz Halliday Sharp. She is going to be writing our eventing column. She's taking over for Boyd Martin. And while that's big shoes to fill, she can definitely do it. Uh, she was uh, listed on the Olympics team for 2021, but unfortunately her horse had a, a, bru- a stone bruise, I think. And she ended up not being able to to compete. But she's a talented um rider. She's been living in the United Kingdom for many years where she was also a race car driver. She doesn't talk about that a lot (laughs) now, but she had like this crazy life as a race car driver where she was really successful and won all these races. And then at the same time was an eventer, but now she's back. She lives in Ocala, 
Florida, and she is going to be writing our monthly eventing column. That's so exciting. Yeah, I remember that story about her and all her, the race car. And that's just, you know, that's a one. I'm, I'm such a, a timid rider. Like I can't imagine doing eventing in cross country, let alone race car driving. Like that's, that's yeah, terrifying. Yeah. To me, but I think just, eventing though, and race car driving go hand in hand. I mean, if you could do yeah, one, exactly. you could probably do the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did uh, eventing when I was in college, but the very lowest level where the jumps were tiny. So and then I couldn't go any farther because <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> Brittany, you just did an article about two interesting people, one that's in the January issue. Tell us about that. Yeah. So this issue features Niall Nassar, who is an Olympic writer for Egypt, actually. But he just married Jennifer Gates, who's Bill Gates's daughter. And I had the opportunity to interview Jen last year for an article. And I've just had the most amazing experience getting to know both of them, um, especially Jen, because she comes from a completely different world than I do, obviously, than I think most of us do, do, actually. But, you know, I came from what I guess you could describe as a poverty level family. Like, I remember this one time my my mom was bedridden for 10 years. Uh, I had come back from college to help take care of my younger siblings who are going to high school. And I remember my dad gathering us around the bend saying, hey, we don't have enough money to make it through this week. And, you know, what can we do to to meet this bill by Thursday and this bill by Friday? And, um, you know, just gathering around to sell our bills and or sell our sell our uh, our bikes. We decided we could sell all, all our bikes, you know, and get this money and go through the basement. And we actually found some of my dad's old uh, silver coin collection in the basement. We were able to sell that. And like, and that's kind of how our family worked. So all growing up, I had this mentality like, oh, wow, you know, having money must totally change your life. And it must be completely different. I'm sure it does. But when I was interviewing Jen, what really struck me was that she struggles or struggled and has struggled with self-confidence and with believing in herself and all these same things that I grew up having to learn and the money didn't make a difference. You know, like she's such a real human being. She's such a, I mean, she's just another person. We got to talk, we really connected over the, just the human experience. And so getting to interview her and then getting to interview her, at the time fiance and now they've they were married in October um was so cool just to see how they do share that and especially horses because right now Jen is in medical school and so she doesn't have as much time to ride as she would like to but she gets to kind of live vicariously through Niall who of course just competed in the Olympics and is doing all this great stuff and they work together actually they started out working together at Jen's uh farm evergate stables and and uh kind of grew from there but it's been it's been really cool to see this and it's actually kind of funny because all growing up people told me that my dad looked like bill gates because he oh, had that's funny it, isn't that funny like yeah. so it's just really i never in a million years imagined that i would get to interview you know jennifer gates and this is actually the second time i've done it because i did it back when she was probably 18 or 19 as well but but uh and yes. that story ran in sidelines also. Yes. Yeah. yeah all that was a sideline stories. story back then. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a little itty bitty one. So that was a really cool one. I love seeing that come full circle in this January issue with that story on Nyalda, which does talk about their engagement and their relationship and stuff a little bit. Well, that's great. And it's a great story. So don't miss that one. We also have a story in the January issue on Derek Braun, who runs the Split Rock Jumping Tour. Um, I love that we uh, that our headline for it was, if you build it, 
they will come just like a field of dreams um, because he has built these uh, horse shows all through the throughout the country or his, this horse show franchise yeah, and, up. Yeah. and people do come to them. It's, it's blowing up and it's a great thing. It's and so we, cool. Yeah. To see those horse shows that are showing up in kind of the out of the way places and the places that aren't traditionally, you don't, don't normally have these great big horse shows, let alone a horse show, the, the quality of the split, mm-hmm. uh, split rock jumping tour. <laughs> right. Um, and then we also have the last page of the magazine every month is called our unbridled page. And this month, uh, Penny Carpenter is featured. And Brittany, you wrote that story also. And I'm glad to say that I wrote the unbridled for like the past, I don't even know how many years, <laughs> many, many years. And as of 2021, I've turned it over to Brittany, which I'm very <laughs> excited about. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a little bit about Penny. Yeah. So uh, Penny was so much fun. You know, Bob usually, uh, suggest people because he knows so many people in the horse industry and we're going to talk to him a little bit later. Uh, but she is one of those people that he knows and she is actually a national and FEI steward and an equitation hunter and jumper judge in California. And she's been doing this for over 50 years. So it's so cool to interview her. And I love unbridled actually, because I get to ask pretty much whatever questions we want. You know, we ask about superpowers. We ask about what things can be found in the refrigerator and, you know, see like what things do not, do people not know about you? And Penny was super interesting because not only did she used to be, uh, she used to do a lot of dance and music stuff, but she also helped design the very first Yusuf approved measuring stick. Uh, which is still in use today. And actually she uses stick number 001 to this thought, day in all her stewardship. Yes. I thought that was so cool because when I had my barn in Wellington, we had a measuring stick because you'd always have to measure the ponies to make sure they were going to yeah. go in the right division. And I just thought that was so cool that she she has the first one and she helped design it. Yeah, I, I know. That was, that was so cool. So it was really fun to get to know her. And I love those little snapshots that we just have at the back of the magazine. Awesome. We're going to get to our next, our first guest, who is Lahua Custer. We're so excited to talk to her. But first, if you're looking for something to read, you might consider Love in the Time of Horses. From the author of the award-winning Shellcross series comes a brand new novel, Love in the Time of Horses, a horse story for writers, a gun story for shooters, and a love story for lovers. Follow a year in the life of Oren Crable and his wife, Isabel, professional dressage competitors and trainers who follow the horse show circuit to Florida every winter. They're friends with Joel Katz, a highly ranked jumper rider and champion sharpshooter whose girlfriend, Jane Klein, is a concert pianist and fellow shooter. The story winds through the big shows and hours of training, along with the unusual atmosphere of gun ranges and cowboy fast draw contests, where two brothers from the farms around Belle Glade are Joel's rivals and adversaries. Love in the Time of Horses is an inside look at the Tony Kabbalistic world of international horse showing that returns to Florida every winter for the ruling class and famous to entertain, compete, and play in the sun parlors of Palm Beach County. Kirkus Review says, this is right what you know with a vengeance. Love in the Time of Horses is available in paperback or on Kindle. Pick up a copy of this enjoyable equestrian tale by USDF gold medalist Charles Porter on Amazon.com today. Coming up right now is Lahua Custard, a dressage writer who just happens to be on the cover of the January issue of Sidelines. We are so excited to talk about her. She has an amazing story. Recently, she and her horse Tuna, uh, that's not his real name, that's his nickname, uh, won the Grand Championship title at the Breeders' Championship Series Finals at Dressage at Devon. She 
and tuna cleaned up. They actually won in hand the material, the born in the USA and the grand championship, which was quite a amazing thing when you consider that she only decided to go a few days prior to the show and hauled the horse across the country by herself in her trailer. Lahua was born in Hawaii, then moved to California, and now she lives in Wellington. Hey, Lahua, we are so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we have been just totally in love with you from the moment that we read the story. Um, Just your story is so fun, I think is the way to put it. I think just you are fun. Um, Everything from, you know, chasing racing against cars in pineapple fields to, you know, all your fun stories about Tuna and how he got his name and everything. So I know we have that super cute picture of Tuna when he was 10 days old that you first saw on Facebook. And somehow you knew that he was the one. Do you have any idea what, like, clued you in? Like, what made you think, that's my horse? Well, actually, he was 10 minutes old in that, which makes me sound maybe even crazier. But, um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm not really normally a very um, kind of spur of the moment person with big plans. I'll, I'll really mull things over for a really long time. And I haven't really owned that many horses in my life, considering I'm in my 40s and been a trainer for 20 years. I've, as an adult, I've only owned, I think, two or three. So it was a really a big decision that I couldn't help making on the spur of the moment. I just I had been horse shopping online and kind of talking with breeders for about two years before I ended up finding him. And I I don't know what it was. There was something that just hit me like, like a ton of bricks when I saw that picture and I, I couldn't get him out of my mind. And I knew he was for me somehow. I don't know. I have no idea what possessed me to decide it was him. That would be my horse. He had never even stood up. He was literally what you saw in that picture was him Mm -hmm. coming out of his you know, out of his mom into the world. And that was brand new boy. And I I don't know, I just had to have him. So I don't have a good answer for that, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) Wow. Well, clearly it worked out because you have a very strong bond and he is a very special horse. We love all the pictures of you two together, especially knowing that he's a stallion and, you know, you've got your hands on his face and you're out there in the field with him with no, no halter or bridle or anything. Um, (laughs) what, What was that photo shoot like? Okay. So that's hysterical. So that I call that picture, my don't bite me picture, because I put my left hand, he's very nibbly. He's not vicious or anything. He's just very tickly and playful and, and silly. And so we were out there just kind of hamming it up and, and he wants to kind of reach around and like kind of nip at my hair and, and play with me. So I had my right hand over his nose, but my left hand, it's a little bit hard to see is on his cheek, pushing him away from me. So he wouldn't nibble. <laughs> so he looks very charming and sweet on the cover. But I, every time I look at it, I just crack up because I think, oh my gosh, I was trying to get the little man not to chew on me like a tooth boy. <laughs> but he's, he's very sweet. He's, he's not like malicious or, or, um, one that's going to be dominant in any way. So I never worry about being in his face past the the normal concerns of young horse, you know, chewing on me basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now and I totally see that, but it looks like you're cuddling him. Like it looks like, you know, <laughs> it looks know. like you two are all buddy, buddy, but really it's like, dude, I don't want to be nibbled on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Leave me alone. Let's just look cute together. Yeah. And he's really funny because if I bring my hands up around his head, he's always kind of playing around. But if you, and this is so, so naughty, but if I lean in and try and give him a kiss, 
he he is perfect. So I don't Aww. recommend doing that with stallions oh. n- n- normally, but he and I have definitely, you know, been together for six years as a partnership. So I know where, where we can kind of, you know, cheat the rules, so to speak, stallion rules a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you just know him really, really well. And you kind of already talked about how he's different from other horses that you've worked with and especially other salons. Can you tell us a little bit more about his personality and kind of what he's like to work with? Yeah, definitely. I, I've ridden a, actually a lot of young horses. I have tried to count how many young horses I've started in the stallions, geldings, and of course mares too in my years. And it's probably close to a hundred, um, if not more. So I've wow. definitely got a lot of history of dealing with young horses and that that's what kind of made me feel like I'd be okay um, bringing one along that I owned as a stallion and you know, liability concerns and all that. But, you know, he, he came out of the womb a pretty sweet and his breeder is very, very good at handling horses and mm. managing young horses. And so she just put a fantastic foundation on him those first six months. Um, I have to give her a ton of credit for that. Kendra Hansis is who bred mm-hmm. him in New Jersey. And I had bought him with the idea that he would be a stallion prospect, but I'm very honest with myself that if a horse isn't happy in their life as a stallion, they, they're better as a gelding. So every step of the way, I thought, you know, if he's not passing this next kind of stage, happy and healthy and comfortable in himself, then I'll geld him. And now he's six and clearly not going to be gelded. So he's passed every, every test along the way so far and just been fantastic. And He's, he's very easy. I can pretty much put anybody on him. He almost anyone could lead him. You know, he definitely notices mm-hmm. mares, so I'm not going to be completely blase, but he's not so fixated on it that he's creating tension in himself or giving himself ulcers or anything. So it's just pretty yeah. easy to keep him in, in a normal schedule. I mean, we're at a big barn with lots of horses around and he's just great. You know, I rode him this morning with another stallion and a young mare in the arena and he didn't look at anyone. He's just easy that way. That's so awesome. I just love that, that you knew he was the one and that it's going so well and you guys have such a special, special relationship. And then I know Ramses is the other horse that, you know, you have a very strong bond with and are doing very well with. And I understand that they're, they're very different horses, right? How can you tell us a little bit about (laughs) their differences and what Ramses is like? They're so, they're vastly different. They're both very, very personable and very sweet. Um, They both think they're like, I think number one in my life, which <laughs> I have them at different facilities. So they don't know about each other, which is probably good. Um, <laughs> I think they'd be a little competitive. Uh, yeah. Ramses is Ramses is kind of a King. Like he's always a bit confident. He's always acted like he was in charge of the barn. Even from a young age, I tease his owner that he, you know, he thinks he's already in charge and he's only, you know, three, four and five years old at that stage. Uh, we got him as a yearling. So he's been one where I, he's kind of been in my life. I've been in his life pretty much his whole life. And he's 12 now. And where Tuna is extremely naturally submissive and kind of really always worried about what the other, you know, person in his realm, his handler, his, his rider, whatever is thinking. Ramses is very, very confident and thinks that we should all kind of bow down to him. <laughs> so his name they're a little him, I guess, huh? different in that <laughs> regard. Yeah. So it's, that's a little bit interesting, but they're both a joy to ride. Ramses is very, very hot. 
Um, he's very hyper, very hot. And Tuna is very cool-minded, which works quite well for a, a stallion. He's quite willing, but very, very kind of centered and cool-minded when he works. So they're very different to train and to teach things to. What are some of your goals for each of them for this coming year? Uh, with Ramses, I've been showing him Grand Prix, and we're going to do the Grand Prix special hopefully this month and then move on and start showing in the CDIs in in the next couple of months down here in Wellington. And then with Tuna, he's I'm just letting him continue to grow up and tell me what he wants. I've, I've shown him through second level. I've done um, the stallion testing and obviously Devin with him. And now he's just turning six. So he's pretty much on track to do third level and to do the FEI six-year-olds. But I, I let him tell me, I guess. I, I try not to put too many goals on him in case he has a growth spurt or, you know, he just kind of needs to take a little time really gelling with certain concepts. Um, I never want to rush him or feel like it's on a specific timeline, but that's roughly what I have in mind for him right now. Yeah. That's awesome. Looking through these, these photos, I see a very, very cute dog with you in one of these pictures. Who is that dog? Oh, that's Petunia. She's, (laughs) she's my little heart dog. I, I had two other dogs. Um, I had a, Boston Terrier Beagle, and I also own a pit bull. And the pit bull's a rescue. He's a little younger than my um, Boston Beagle, and he was kind of the Boston was getting quite old, and so I thought I have to get a companion for the pit bull. Mm-hmm. And my mom lives in Hawaii and works at a rescue, an animal rescue. And little baby Petunia showed up one day at the rescue, and she looks like a miniature version of the pit bull. So. We kind of had to get her. <laughs> so Petunia's from Hawaii, actually. And she, oh, was, wow. she was, yeah, she was found. This is quite sad, actually. She was found in a dumpster as a puppy. Oh, Somebody had thrown oh. her away. Yeah, oh. horrible. And so someone else was opening the trash can and throwing a bag of trash in and looked down and happened to see her and pulled her out. And she just got a chance to live. And I, I'm lucky that I got to find her. And she's just a joy. I think she's. Uh, part Frenchie and part Boston Terrier and she's a wild little thing she keeps the pit bull in line that's for sure oh my goodness how (laughs) funny I love that so do you still go back to Hawaii often it's a little difficult to go all the way from Florida to Hawaii it's a lot of airplanes and time so honestly I haven't been back uh, since I've moved to Florida but I I will yeah my family still lives there and um, I'll need to kind of take some time to visit them soon you know it was a little bit hard also with covid to imagine that kind of travel yeah so i'm sadly i haven't been back in a few years but i hopefully will be able to go soon well, Lahua, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. And after reading your story about you um, racing the cars out of the pineapple field, <laughs> now I really want to go to Hawaii. Oh, it was so but I'm gonna fun. have to—I'm going to have to go to your mom's house and tell her what you did. <laughs> you know what I did? I told her. I admitted it, and she said she had no idea, but she actually wasn't mad. So I'm in the clear. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> I was like 21 before I found out that pineapples don't grow on palm trees. Like I just, I Isn't thought that wild. They grow out of yeah. the ground. I, I know, know. These spiky little things. And it's a lot of incentive not to fall off. You don't want to land in a oh, uh, pineapple plant. Yeah. Painful. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't either. Yeah. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> 
Exactly. Wow. That is well, so te- cool. Tell us a little bit about dressage at Devon that day that you were, that weekend that you were showing. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I went at the very last second and I thought, you know, hopefully he'll just do well in his stallion class. And I showed up at the venue and I went into this store and there's this beautiful shirt on the wall and it's like $200 shirt. And I said, okay, if he, I look at the breeder who, uh, Kendra, who was with me, I said, okay, if he wins every class, I'm going to buy that shirt. I think, you know, I'm in the clear. I'm not going to have to buy a $200 shirt that I really <laughs> don't have the budget for. And we just kept going to each class and, and he just was a star. He just had such presence and he, he really just kind of held it together through the whole day. It's a, it's a little bit of a challenge because the horses get tired and a little sour sometimes of doing the same thing over and over. And they keep going back into the ring all day long. And he just was so well behaved and focused the entire time. And, and by the end of the night, I thought, you know, we had the top four horses in there and I thought, you know, this is it. Like we made the top four, there's nothing else we could ask for. And we were in such good company too. It was fantastic horses. They could have any, any one of the four could have been the top and, I just luck had it. It was our day. And so I bought the shirt. <laughs> I did buy the shirt. <laughs> so it was, it was surreal and unexpected on one level. And on the other level, I felt like he really deserved it. And I, I, I'm very biased and think the world of him. So it was amazing to, to see that the, that day the judges thought the same. Just was the luck of the draw, I think, in a lot of ways. Wow, that's awesome. Does it mean, I'm, I'm sure it means even more to you that he is like one of your very few that you've owned as an adult rather than, I mean, I'm sure you love and appreciate your owners. Oh yes, absolutely. I felt like I made a good choice in, in buying him on a whim after he's proven himself this way for sure. Absolutely. Because I can only fund so many horses at a time and, you know, I have to be very picky on what I pick. So absolutely. It was a real dream come true. It still kind of hasn't hit me in some ways. I think I'll have to look back on all the photos and, pinch myself more. (laughs) So you moved, Lahua, you moved from California to Wellington and tell us about that. Sure. So I'd been in California since 1997 and I went to college there and then set up a business and I had been kind of very well established in a lot of ways and realized that if I wanted to, to push myself and, and really challenge myself with this horse Ramsey's that I might need to, to, get myself over to Wellington. And my plan was to go for two months and I never left. (laughs) So it was a very slow move. I I moved in pieces and slowly made the decision and realization that I had to relocate. And so it all happened in stages. I moved myself and Ramsey's and Petunia. And then I later moved Tuna and um, Galileo, my pit bull. And then after that, I moved all my stuff a year later. (laughs) So it's been a couple of years to get here officially. Yeah. And what do you what do you like about Wellington? Uh, basically, I just like that the weather's consistent, the training's consistent, and I'm in front of a lot of really top riders and trainers at all times. It pushes me to become better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lahua. Lahua is on the cover of our January issue. We're so happy to have her there. Lahua, where can people find you? Do you have a website that people can find you at if they want to know more? Yes, I do. It would be LehuaCusterDressage.com. And I also have a Facebook and Instagram also at LehuaCusterDressage. Awesome. We, well, we love everything that you share on those. So thank you again, Lahua. Thank you so much for having me. 
Founded in 2019, Blue Ribbon Scholars is the leader in tutoring and education enrichment for equestrians. They understand the unique challenges of equestrian student-athletes and have a top-notch team to support them both in and out of the show ring. Blue Ribbon Scholars tutors specialize in closing the COVID-19 learning gap and working with students who take extended absences to compete in the hunters, jumpers, equitation, and Western disciplines. They manage students in public school, private school, online school, and homeschooling programs to help every student achieve their goals. Contact info at blueribbonscholars.com for more information. To learn more about special on-site program at Hits Ocala or virtual options for equestrians anywhere in the world. I know Mira, who runs the Blue Ribbon Scholars program, and she is a great, and we've done um, several stories and sidelines on some of her kids. So make sure to check out Blue Ribbon Scholars. Coming up next is Bob Bell, the owner of Sidelines Magazine and my boss and Brittany's boss. Um, he's also the owner of Classic Company Horse Shows, um, runs horse shows all around the country, and he has a great story, and we're looking forward to talking to him. Hi, Bob. Hi, Jen. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, Bob, I just want everyone to know that you're one of my favorite people, and <laughs> um, I will say in the horse world, you seem to be everyone's favorite person, so that's I a great that. thing. I get that all the time when I interview people that know you. They're like, oh, say say hi to my good friend, Bob. He's my favorite. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yep. I'm in so fact, I, yes, I just talked to Kim Burnett this morning, and she said, you are one of her favorite people. And she's one of mine. So isn't <laughs> that fun? But that's, when, that's been the beauty and the fun of working on this magazine. I've got to work with such incredibly talented, award-winning even photographers and writers. And then we get to deal with my friends and people that I've met and people I've always wanted to meet that I never had an opportunity to do. So you get to contact these people. We write an article about them. You send it to me. I get to read it ahead of time, which I think is really exciting. And later in life, if it's via email or via text or running into these people in person at a horse show, they want to talk about the article that they got done and how happy they were with working with you and working with the group. And that's been just so much fun in working in this magazine. Oh, that's great. Well, um, so tell us what made you decide to buy sidelines? I got a phone call one afternoon <laughs> from a lady who told me that if you were interested in a magazine, I have one that you should consider. <laughs> I've known sidelines for a million years and um, I, I read it. I used to pick it up at all the horse shows and find out who was doing what and, and on and on. And it just sounded like a great opportunity and something that blended so well with being a horse show manager and being involved in the sport. And well, that's, all in all, it came together yeah. and here we are. Well, we are happy that you did buy sidelines. <laughs> so, um, and so obviously most people know that you run horse shows, but tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've been running horse shows for over 30 years and I got into it kind of the strangest way. I mean, many, many years ago, um, horse shows were run and by secretaries who had to type all the information in and they spent afternoons just typing and typing. And this gentleman, uh, Lawrence Kent um, wrote software that would make class sheets. And at the same time as when I just had gotten out of college and I was 
selling computers, the big giant, they called them portables, yet today we'd never call them a portable. <laughs> and they came to me and said, you know, we know you know some things about computers. If you'll help us on weekends in the office, you know, we'll maybe be able to help with your hotel or maybe your the entry fees for your horses that were showing. And I thought that was great. And it led into me being the show secretary. And then Mrs. Kent, um, Lawrence's wife, who is the mother of Laura Kraut, took me ah. aside at one of the horse shows and said, we have to have a chat. You are wasting your time as a show secretary. You need to be a manager. And I said, well, that sounds great, except for who's going to hire me. She goes, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I got you a horse show to manage. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I managed a horse show in Tryon, North Carolina, when they first opened a uh, fence, the Foothills Equestrian Nature Center. And I did my first horse show, and we had success. And uh, right after that, the people from um, – Atlanta called um, that were producing the Olympics there, and they said, we'd like you to run horse shows as soon as the Olympics are done. And then mm. that led to yeah. the Gulf, and that led to Charleston, and I mean, everything just grew from there. Wow, that's amazing. So when you look back it on it, yeah, when you look <laughs> back on it, what was your favorite experience, or a couple of them, of all those horse shows? Well, I love doing the Charleston Horse Show. That was a very special event that ran for years until the facility. We kind of outgrew the facility. They developed all around it and took away all of our parking. And and even the lake that we actually sucked the water out of to water the grounds, um, even the lake disappeared from us. So that was kind of sad. And then going up to Biltmore was a very exciting time and running mm-hmm. those shows up to Nashville right behind the Biltmore house. But again, all good things kind of come to an end, and and that did too. And now I'm just so happy to have these six weeks in the Gulf. Um, they're very special events. They're not giant. They offer people an alternative if you don't want to go to the big shows in Palm Beach or in Ocala um, or out on the West Coast. The people come, and we get a large number of people from Georgia and from Texas that come to compete um, in Gulfport. And then we have two shows in Ocala that are new to us at the Florida horse park. And then we have still have the two shows in Aiken that are still my favorite shows at this point. Um, I love going to Aiken and what Bruce Duchessois dream of a facility has just come to such reality and in such a lovely place. And so that's kind of my entire year now, instead of working the 35 or 40 weeks I was doing, I'm down to 10 which is good at my point in life. And I get to spend more time on the magazine, a little bit more time relaxing than just running from one event to another. Well, that is good, especially that part about spending more time on the magazine. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of chat every day at some point, Jen, about something going on with a magazine, but I got to sit down the other day when it was quiet and, you know, tried to give a whole bunch of ideas for what we can do in 2022. And I needed that time you know, not being at a horse show to be able to get that done. So I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe some of the new articles we'll be writing this year. So what is your plan um, for the, the Gulf? When do you head there? I head to the Gulf um, on the 1st of February. I um, mean, you know, I've been enjoying myself for having some time off down here in Fort Lauderdale, and I just love being down here in the winter. But it is time now to go back to work. So on February 1st, I'll be packing up and driving to Gulfport. And we start on the 16th of February and we go for six weeks 
And right now the entries look good and we have a lot of new things this year, but a lot of new sponsors. I think COVID held a lot of sponsors back. They really weren't quite sure if their businesses were going to survive or not. And they didn't have personnel, but this year everything seems, even though I know COVID numbers, they tell us are going up. Uh, I guess the companies have figured that, you know, it's safe to invest in the sponsors and, and get involved again. So I'm looking forward to seeing some new faces this year. Sunny weather sounds nice. Doesn't warm weather sound nice, Jan? Yeah, we're about to have snow here. So yes. <laughs> I'm staring out my window about a foot of it with the snow pile going up and down the street all morning. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure sounds nice. That's why, I have a, that's why I bought a place in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> oh, I just can't take that cold anymore. And, and and all that goes on up there. And that's, I think, you know, one of the reasons too why people come to Gulfport. It's not the, the warmest place, and it, but it's by far cold. I mean, I think we've been there now for going on 25 years. And there was one snowstorm that happened, and I missed it because I was in Walmart getting stuff for a party that night. <laughs> um, came down, and everybody talked about it. And when I came out, I was only in there an hour or so. And apparently it snowed, and it melted. All and I missed the whole storm. Missed it. That's so funny. primarily, we just you know it's it's the same weather that everybody has in Ocala, so it can get cool. But then it's you're you know in the south, so you have nice weather come the end of February and March. Usually, are very nice. Now, Bob, one thing a lot of people don't know is when you were starting out, did you ride horses? Did you compete? No, I was. Um, <laughs> my parents wouldn't buy me a horse. <laughs> Even though I loved it and I wanted to take lessons, I mean, they, I was involved on the swim team and I went all over the country swimming. Um, and I even got a scholarship when it came later to, for college and things like that. But horses were always, you know, it's, you're going to we'll get you a horse and we'll do that and then you're going to quit. And But I did as soon as I got out of college um, and got situated in um, my first job, I started taking lessons, being a little eight. Nine-year-olds were out there taking lessons, and one thing kind of led to another. I was never a very talented rider. I mean, they talk about those people that can find seven out of eight jumps. Well, I definitely was one of them, and every ribbon I got was, you know, like green or pink or something. <laughs> even if a local show, little eight-year-olds would beat me. But um, I still love the sport and love the animals, and that was the important part to me. And and then one thing kind of led to another, and the first thing I know, I owned a horse that was going down to Florida, and I was going to watch the horse, and then I got excited, and I tried riding some more, and had some of the best trainers trying to teach me, and I still was awful. But, you know, <laughs> I had a great time, and I enjoyed the sport and enjoyed the people, and I got involved with the governance. With I was served on the USEF board for, I think, 12 years, and I was on the USHJ board from the it's very first year for, I don't even know how many years I was on that. I chaired the zone committees for almost 20 years for zone four. And I was always involved with rule changes. And I also was the chairman of the competition management committee for both USCF and USHJA. So I stayed very involved with, the, with that end of it. And that seemed to be where I excelled. So riding was not my, my forte, but the horses were and wow. the business was. Well, we're glad you found your spot in the horse world, especially when it came to sidelines. <laughs> yeah, and I enjoyed fox hunting. I did a lot of fox hunting. When I, you, oh. you don't have to be the best rider. You have to be a very brave rider. 
and I had a very good horse that came from the Canadian team that actually uh, competed in the Poussins. So the horse could oh, wow. jump. And um, unfortunately, he was a Christmas present. And like a lot of Christmas presents, they don't last forever. Um, anyway, but that's must have been my life with horses. You've been involved with these for these shows and the horse world, obviously, for a very long time. And COVID is something we have not seen before ever. So what has surprised you the most, Bob, about the relation between COVID and horse shows and how those have all um, worked well, it's, out? It's been been very interesting. In the very beginning, it was pretty terrifying when I got that phone call from the USCF president telling me that my circuit had to close down and before we had finished. And I became very terrified of, of this, this horrible virus that was going around that people couldn't control. Mm. And we closed the show down and we all went home and I, I worked very hard with um, Bill Maroney and uh, Murray Kessler you know, working on some protocols for when we can come back. You know, at some point, we're going to have to come back into the horse show world. We can't just, you know, go on forever. And how we were going to come back, because we knew the virus wasn't going to disappear. And I remember sitting, writing on the back of envelopes while I was driving one time. I wasn't driving, I was a passenger. But I was driving, I was just writing down all these things that we needed to do. Competition committee um, got together. We went over a lot of these things and then submitted them to the federation. And a lot of them they used, um, putting together the toolkit and such. And uh, <laughs> I had the first horse show coming back when they allowed oh, wow. the horse shows to come. Mine was one in Aiken. <laughs> and trying to get everyone together to wear their masks, to have the plastic shields, to do their entries online and not come in the office. All of that was a giant challenge. And I will tell you, it was the hardest show I've ever done in my entire life. Wow. And then there were the people that felt the horse show shouldn't be going on right now. And so every little thing they could possibly find that went, or they heard that went on, they would call the Federation. The Federation would call me, what are, you, are you really doing this? Are you doing <laughs> that? And it was the most, like I said, the most difficult horse show I ever did in my life. And then after that, I didn't have another horse show for quite a while till we got to the Gulf. And, and by then, everybody had gotten used to what had to happen if we were going to have these events. And our trainers and our riders took it all very seriously because they wanted to continue to show. And if these were the rules, they would abide by them. And I think that for the most part, it went very smoothly after it got started. The beginning, it was very difficult for a lot of them lived on farms and weren't wearing masks all of a sudden to find they had to wear them to go in the office when they weren't riding, when they were sitting in the golf cart by themselves and things like that. And of course, because the government kept changing the protocol, we had to keep changing protocol. So mm -hmm. it was difficult, but we got through it. Here we are. And now with COVID numbers still kind of skyrocketing, I understand it was a million the other day. Um, the horse shows are still continuing, and, and hopefully they will not be shut down this year. Hope not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we it, hope not. It, no, it, it's, it's kind of, they, they did finally, the Federation did finally understand that it should be state by state versus something just set by Lexington. And that was one of the best things they could have done was to allow the, the local laws of where the horse show is taking place to kind of regulate what was going on. Mm -hmm. But it's been a process and it was hard. And I don't think I slept the entire two weeks of that horse show. 
Wow. <laughs> Just all wow. night I was thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And running a horse show, I mean, when you're operating with over a million-dollar budget and knowing that those people have to show because you already laid out all that money, I mean, that's enough to keep you awake all night, too. Oof. Yeah, especially yeah. things that so many, so much that you can't control. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. But I was very happy. I mean, the exhibitors that seem to come to the classic company events, um, they're all they want the horse shows to continue. They want them to be done, and they did cooperate um, better than I ever thought. Um, after we got going, it took a little bit. The first couple of days were rough. And uh, it was tough on the stewards and tough on management to, and everyone else just to keep those masks on. But I think we got that under control now. And now people are vaccinated. And the people who have had COVID recently, it seems to be very mild. So hopefully we'll, we'll get through this again. Well, Bob, thanks for joining us. As always, Sidelines loves you. And we, are, we know that you love Sidelines. So we're so thankful for that. <laughs> well, I thank you for calling me. This was a lot of fun to do, and we'll be talking soon, like we do almost every other day to get that <laughs> magazine done. Yes, we will. <laughs> All righty. Thank you. Don't forget, if you're looking for something to read, check out Love in the Time of Horses by Charles Porter. He is a USDF dressage gold medalist, and he really infuses a lot of his dressage knowledge as well as a lot of interesting uh, juxtaposition of kind of the Western world with a lot of sharpshooting and cowboy things. Uh, and from Kirkus Reviews, an enjoyable equestrian tale with a bit of extra for those who share the author's enthusiasms. A novel with a cast of competitive characters provides everything readers will want to know about quick draw contests and the world of dressage training. Porter is a capable and enthusiastic writer, mixing in poetic descriptions, especially at the climax, and rock tunes, and his characters are mostly well-developed. Love in the Time of Horses is available in paperback or on Kindle, so go to Amazon.com to get your copy today. It's been so great doing our first episode of Horses in the Morning. Uh, sidelines can be found at sidelinesmagazine.com. Find the link to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. Uh, you can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you whenever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsors, Jeremy Green of the Corcoran Group, Love in the Time of Horses by Charles Porter, and Blue Ribbon Scholars. Make sure to also follow Sidelines on Instagram and Facebook. And... Don't forget to buy a subscription, and then we'll see you on the sidelines. <laughs>